The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, on this week's show, we're all about getting an early start. So for starters, no pun intended, we're going to get an early start on uh, getting on, excuse me, on college finance. Um, we're also going to get to part two in our series about getting an early start on your Common App essays. And this is really important for those of you who are going to be applying to college next year. So all of you seniors, I suppose possibly those of you thinking about transferring, but we're going to be talking about prompts three through five on the Common App for those of you thinking about writing those essays. And we're also introducing the first segment in a four-week series covering everything you need to be thinking about relating to college admissions for every year that you're in high school. So we're going to start where you start, and that's with ninth grade. But first, uh, today's guest for my very first segment is Alex Bickford. Alex has joined us before. He's a former senior financial aid officer at Southern New Hampshire University. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, so we're talking about getting early starts today, and I think that paying for college, it's almost never too early to start thinking about that. We certainly ask families to start thinking about saving, sometimes even before the child is actually born, but certainly right after, and I think you and I talked about that in a previous show. Um, but now you're a little, students are a little bit older, maybe they're in high school, uh, I've heard, and maybe you could tell me if this is true or not, that it's really never too early to apply for scholarships. So what are your thoughts on the best way to approach that? That's a, that's a great question, Beth, and that's something that we, we get a lot here uh, is, is asking about students who either are, are doing really well in high school or even students who are more average students in high school starting to look at the best approach for finding scholarships. Um, and I think that in applying for outside scholarships, applying earlier on in the freshman or sophomore year won't always net you the results that you're hoping for. Uh, there are some scholarships that you can find early, um, and they, they may be beneficial for you in college, but those are few and far between. The bigger aspect of doing a search for scholarships early is to make sure your student gets built into, or you as a student, builds yourself into a really good candidate for those scholarships. So I think it's actually a great idea to do a scholarship search and see what types of students uh, may be getting the scholarships out there that you may covet. What right. might they have for GPAs? What might they have for test scores? Uh, what, how many community service hours do they have? What types of classes have they taken? Uh, those types of things that will allow your, you to, over the next four years of your, your high school career, build yourself into a really good applicant as opposed to 
going and looking for scholarships in your senior year and kind of falling backwards into one or not finding any at all. Right. So it's kind of like the difference between starting to think about going to college in the fall of your senior year versus starting to think about it in the fall of your freshman year. If you get an early start, the options may be more open to you than if you wait too long. And it sounds like the same thing can be true of scholarships. It allows you to kind of plan ahead a little bit, I guess. I think that's the exact point is that starting early just gives you all of the options that you should have and make sure that you put yourself in a position to take advantage of those best options for you uh, as a student. Gotcha. So what are some other pieces of advice you would have in terms of applying for outside scholarship? Right. So, uh, you know, my take on outside scholarships is, I think, somewhat controversial uh, in the in the world of uh, of college finance. I think most folks that you would talk to would say that this should be part of the student's job uh, during their summer of their junior year and into their senior year. Uh, just like working a part-time job, the students should be spending a certain amount of hours per week on finding an outside scholarship to make a contribution to their education. Uh, and I think that that's... Uh, that that's a nice thought uh, and works well for very few students. Uh, but for the few students who it works well for, it can be a really great thought process. I actually have a slightly different approach. I don't think that everybody out there should be applying for outside scholarships because I don't think that those students, and not all students, will have really good results. I actually have a 3E approach uh, for applying for outside scholarships. Students need to meet these three specific criteria before they even consider applying for outside scholarships. So the first thing that they need to do is be early. Uh, early in the process, and this is a perfect segment, right? Uh, yep, talking exactly. about getting an early start. <laughs> so uh, starting early, and that in part means, of course, doing the search in your freshman year or your sophomore year to build yourself into a good candidate for the scholarships. But it also means you need to be actually doing the scholarship applications earlier than their deadlines. Generally, the deadlines for outside scholarships are kind of September, October, November of the senior year in high school. But Beth, I mean, you can talk to this more than I can. Uh, what do high school seniors have to do during that time frame of their senior year? Pretty much <laughs> a million things. And, I, you know, even the students that I push to get their main work for the application, like their main essay and filling out the common application or filling out other applications, many of them don't push themselves hard enough in the summer to get that done. So often they're doing application work. Some of them are still taking standardized testing. Most of them are still writing supplemental pieces for their colleges. Oh, and by the way, they're also taking full course loads, often with really rigorous curriculum. So there's not a lot of time and, and also participating in extracurricular activities. So there isn't a whole right. lot of time going around in that freshman, that, that senior year of the fall, for sure. That's my, that's my point exactly. And I tell parents, uh, if they have a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, scholarship applications are falling to like 15th on the priority list, yep. uh, and meaning that the student won't be putting in their best effort when they're applying for these scholarships at that time frame. So I say, well, let's push it back. Uh, and much like you do when you're talking about getting your essays prepared uh, for the Common App, getting your scholarship uh, application prepared and the essays prepared, uh, starting really as soon as your junior year ends, uh, over that summer when you 
typically have just a little bit more time. Maybe you still have a job and maybe you still have extracurriculars going on and uh, you're certainly doing some uh, some prep work for, for writing uh, essays and such. Uh, but you have a little bit more time on your hands than you will in the fall uh, when you have a full course load to do with all of this other stuff. Uh, so if you start that early process, uh, you'll put yourself in a much better position uh, to put in what my next E is, which is effort. Uh, you need to put in your best effort here. There are so many students who uh, only apply for outside scholarships because mom and dad make you. And when mom yeah. and dad make you do anything, I, and, uh, I, I think that most of us can, can kind of think about this and think about when we tell our kids that you need to do something, uh, it triggers something in their brain that says, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> and if yes. I do want to do it, I'm being I'm required to, therefore I don't want it. Exactly. Uh, and so if you're not putting in your full effort, there are, there are thousands of other kids out there who are putting in a full effort and who uh, absolutely probably have uh, the same types of uh, background that you have to be well qualified for this scholarship. So there's going to be somebody else that's chosen because it really comes through uh, when you're writing your essay and trying to frame yourself into the best candidate uh, for this scholarship, which means maybe researching the company's mission and their vision and tailoring your, your essay to make sure that they realize how good of a candidate you are. If you don't do that, somebody else has. Uh, and that means that regardless of how good your background may be for this scholarship, you're probably going to get overlooked. Uh, and you will probably not even be read. And if you are read, you're, you're going to be in really stiff competition with everybody else out there. So the second E is putting in the effort. Uh, and if the student's not going to put in the effort, uh, they should move on and, and, and try something else. Right. Absolutely. So what's the third E? So the third E is that they need to be exceptional. So they don't need to be exceptional students per se. They don't need to be valedictorians and 4.0 GPAs. Although certainly there are plenty of scholarships for those kids. Uh, there are scholarships out there for really almost every level of student, but they need to have exceptional qualifications within that scholarship. So as an example, if you have a scholarship that requires, you know, 150 community service hours and a 3.0 GPA, uh, and you have a thousand, and you have, uh, I'm sorry, 100 community service hours and a 2.5 GPA, you're not exceptional. And not, not right. only are you not exceptional, you haven't met the qualifications. But even if you were meeting the qualifications with a 3.0 GPA and 150 community service hours, you're still not exceptional. Uh, so if there are other scholarships out there that you can distinguish yourself a little bit more and set yourself apart a little bit more than the other applicants, you'll be much better off uh, applying for those scholarships where you are exceptional rather than the scholarships where you're just average. Right. I think the, you know, the Internet has put scholarships at the fingertips of every student in America. So the competition, just like the competition with college, the competition with these scholarships is really fierce. And right. so you need to do everything you can to really limit the competition you have out there for those outside scholarships. Makes a ton of sense. So let's move on from scholarships and talk about a couple of other things that actually might be really um, parents might be interested in. And uh, this, the first one is that you know, I've heard from different people, maybe I want to move my money to life insurance or an annuity and that can, that's a way to increase my financial aid eligibility. So first question is whether or not this is true. And second is, do you think it's a good idea? Right. So uh, this is true in very limited circumstances, 
so it may be true in some circumstances. I'll kind of go into depth of what those circumstances are. Uh, and whether this is a good idea or not is typically the answer is no for most families. And let me kind of uh, explain why uh, this and how this kind of whole process works. So in the financial aid formula, the colleges and the government are going to consider uh, the assets that the family holds. And they categorize them as parent assets and student assets. And the parent's assets in the financial aid formula play such a small role, generally for every dollar you have in an asset, you're going to lose four cents in financial aid eligibility. So if we equate that out and and say that a family has $100,000 of assets, really at most, the family would be expected to contribute $4,000 of that towards the cost of college. If you flip that around, however, and look at students' assets, students mm-hmm. are expected to be able to contribute from their assets 20 to 25% uh, of every dollar uh, that, they, uh, that they have saved. So if a student had that same $100,000 saved, they'd be expected to contribute somewhere between twenty dollars and $25,000 towards their education. So the bigger deal in the asset world is not parent assets, it's student assets. So that's really one way to limit the uh, amount of impact your assets will have on financial aid is to limit these, the assets that are in the child's name. So those assets, uh, the good news is, is that there are three ways that the government sets up for us as parents to save for a child's education. Mm-hmm. That's the 529 plan. Uh, it's a prepaid tuition plan. That's a Coverdell account. We kind of talked about these uh, that's the last time that we, I was on. Sure. All three of those ways, as long as they are owned by the parents and the students are beneficiaries, are going to be considered parentally owned assets in the financial aid formula, really limiting the impact on financial aid. Okay. So let's take a sense. step back and say that, okay, you didn't have student assets. You, you do have some parent assets, and you really think that that 4% uh, is a big deal for you, and you wanted to, to make some adjustments. So for the family who's in that scenario and was still thinking that maybe I want to move my money, uh, you really have to think about the whole financial aid process and first decide whether my income is going to prove that I don't qualify for financial aid. Income by far is the biggest driver in this formula, mm-hmm. and typically when families don't qualify for the financial aid that they want or don't qualify for any financial aid at all, uh, the reason why they don't qualify is because they make too much, not because it's saved too much. Right. So generally speaking, if you only have one child in college, if your income's above like two twenty-five or $250,000, you're probably not going to qualify for much in the way of need-based financial aid. So the moving around of your assets is going to be more trouble than it's worth because you still won't qualify for need-based financial aid. Right. Okay. Even, even if you had two in college, we're still talking about uh, incomes of 275 or more probably aren't qualifying. So at that point, once again, probably more trouble than it's worth. Uh, but with that, even when uh, you do go ahead and move this money around, let's say uh, you know you know you're going to qualify for financial aid, your income's a hundred thousand dollars, your child's going to a higher cost private school, things seem to be lining up really well to maybe save a few thousand dollars by moving your money into life insurance or or an annuity, and then you find out that uh, the more selective private colleges, the private colleges that are requiring 
a financial aid form called the College Scholarship Search Profile, the CSS Profile form. They are going to ask about the assets you have in insurance in the annuities. So at these private colleges where you're most likely going to qualify for financial aid to begin with, they're still going to ask, the majority of them are still going to ask about the assets you have there. And so you've done all of this work, made your assets less liquid than they were before, and you still haven't increased the financial aid that you have. Right. So really only in few, few circumstances uh, should families even consider this type of move. And, and if they are, it really needs to be done towards the beginning of the high school career and not towards the end. Alex, that makes so much sense. And for those of you who are thinking, oh, well, this sounds interesting, and he mentioned a couple of savings vehicles, and what are those all about? As Alex mentioned, he's been on uh, the show before. We've talked about uh, savings, different savings vehicles, different things you can do to uh, think about increasing financial aid, things you can do to help yourself understand how much financial aid you might actually qualify for. Uh, And the archives are the place that you want to go for that information. You can either listen to them right from your computer. You can uh, download them and listen to them later. You can go to iTunes and you can download them for free from iTunes. So Alex, thank you so much. We're going to go to a break, but we're back with our second segment on the Common App Prompts as soon as that's over. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, everybody, back from the break. And right now, I have with me Ian. Um, Ian Fisher has been on the show before. In fact, just two weeks ago on our June 11th show, we did our first segment on getting an early start on your Common App essay. Uh, Welcome, Ian. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. So last time you were on, we talked about um, prompts number one and two on the Common App and sort of how to approach those prompts, what to be thinking about uh, when you think about writing those essays. So for those of you who are interested, you're hearing about the the archives ad nauseum today, but if you want to, go back and take a look at it or listen to that June 11th show. We have lots of good information there. Today we were going to talk about the last three prompts. Uh, and um, I, before we jump right in, is there anything that you wanted to note about maybe getting an early start on the essay or, or anything you like students to be thinking about when they think about the essay in general? Well, I would, I would do the same thing that you just said and refer students back to the archives because we discussed uh, two weeks ago um, how you go about selecting a prompt and sort of the role that it plays in shaping your essay rather than identifying a topic. And so I think that that information is hugely helpful. Um, and since we're covering three prompts today, we're not going to get a chance to get into that in, in detail like we did last time. Um, but it, yeah, that's, that's sort of the big recommendation that I would make is to sort of consider um, what you're going to write first before you choose the prompt. And then the prompt, which we'll discuss today, gets you into the sort of fashioning of that particular essay. That sounds like a plan. So again, got to go to the archives and it's free. So it's not like we're making you spend some money. All right. So the prompt number three, let me read it. Uh, This is actually the only one, I believe, that did not change this year. Uh, And the question is, reflect on a time when you challenged a belief or idea. What prompted you to act? And would you make the same decision again? So I'm a student. I'm looking at that prompt. Uh, I don't really know what's coming to my mind immediately, but maybe one thing that comes to my mind is remember that time those kids cheated on the math exam and I knew they were doing it and I didn't say anything. Uh, I, that's something I've heard from some of my students. But what do you think about that idea and, and what do you think about when you think about this prompt and you're, you have a teenager in front of you struggling to kind of come up with something? Yeah, this, this one is sort of like the failure essay in that if there isn't an event that immediately comes to mind for you, then this probably is not the prompt that you you want to be writing. I think you don't want to sort of say, what can I think of that might fit this? Um, I think you want to think about something that's really made an impact in your life. Um, I actually worked with a student last year um, who wrote a response to this particular prompt, and it was about um, the diversity of her friend group and being... um, sort of dealing with a racist in public who challenged um, one of her friends of color. And so it wasn't, what's really important about this prompt in my mind is the second sentence, the first question, which is what prompted you to act? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that really gets at what your values are, what you care about, why you care about this particular um, issue. And so for this particular student, it was about the relationship that she shared with her friends and the closeness that they had developed with one another, and that was what prompted her to act. So through this essay, I got this really sort of beautiful picture of of the kind of friend that she was. 
Um, and it wasn't about whether she thought racism was good or bad. It was about who she was in responding to a difficult situation. So I, I would really encourage students to focus on that first question there as the centerpiece of this essay. Yeah, I would agree, because I do think that's an essay that could go off the rails, right, and end up being a long kind of diatribe about racism in this country, where we might get to hear a lot from her about how she thinks, but not a lot about her necessarily. And you really want both in a successful essay. You want something that's going to shape a full picture. And sometimes if you go off on an idea, uh, you, you run the risk of really... Uh, you just don't know what the ideas are going that are going to be held by the person who's going to be reading the essay, and you know you can't write for that person. But in the at the end of the day, it really needs to be about you and not about you know this sort of cause that you support so much. Anyway, exactly. Um, and even if you have a reader who agrees with you, you don't want them to just sort of be sitting there nodding their head. You know, this is something that I agree with, right? You want to be demonstrating how your particular approach to this situation. Exactly. Right, because of course they're going to be nodding their head and saying, yes, racism is bad, but that doesn't necessarily give them anything to hang their hats on when you go into the committee room is what am I going to say? This girl is great. She thinks racism is bad. Okay. Isn't that kind of a no duh? We all think that. What else do you have to tell me? Right. So what about the end part of it? The whole question around, would you make the same decision again? You know, I hear you saying that really the centerpiece is the what prompted you to act. What do you think about the the last part of it and how important that is to the successful essay? Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm really curious what you think as well. My view on this is that that part of the prompt, I, I don't I don't even know why it's there. Um, I in my sort of in my view, I wouldn't want a student in their last paragraph to say. You know, if I could do it all over again, you know, that kind of sentence, uh, because I think that that's a really trite way to approach a topic that can be particularly complex. Um, and so I think that implicit in the essay that you write is going to be how you feel about the decision that you made and that responding specifically to that question. Um, you know, if the answer is no, I don't know why you would even be necessarily choosing this topic, because mm-hmm. then you're highlighting something that you did that wasn't particularly good. Um, so, but maybe you have some different, some different views on that. No, I mean, I agree with you. I think to me that the answer should be found in the essay. It's sort of implicit in the essay. Whether you would act the same way again or whether you would not, we should learn that by reading the essay. And um, I think in the case of your student who felt uh, compelled to speak up and that shared all that information about her friends, I think implicit in that is the idea that, of course, if it came to that, uh, once again, she would act the same way because the same things would be important to her. Um, so, yeah, I do think that's a little – I really – I also find that anytime you are directly answering the question as in – you ask if I would make the same decision again, I would, or if it came to it, I would make the same decision again. That ends up feeling a little false to me. So you want to make sure you're addressing the spirit of the prompt, but as far as repeating the prompt in your essay, I don't really like to see it. So I'm with you there. Yeah. And one of the things that I tell students is please don't remind your reader that they're reading a college essay. You don't need to do that. And when you directly call into the, call into your essay, the phrases from the prompt. You, you somehow take your reader outside of the world you're trying to create with what you're writing. So, so please don't use the actual terms from the essay itself. I agree. So let's move on to question four, or prompt four, because we are, ta- we are 
running, we're not running short on time yet, but I can see that we will. All right. So um, prompt four is brand spanking new this year. It replaced the prompt about uh, describing a place where you felt happiest or most at peace. Um, a prompt that incidentally I actually liked quite a bit, but um, yeah, it's my favorite too. for another day. Anyway, yeah. the new prompt is describe a problem you've solved or a problem you would like to solve. It can be an intellectual challenge, a research query, an ethical dilemma, anything that is of personal importance, no matter the scale. Explain its significance to you and what steps you took or could be taken to identify a solution. I see this one as rife with potential landmines, and I'd love to think see, think about it, Ian. Yeah, and I, I heard your vocal inflection as you were reading that prompt that you really sort of highlighted personal importance, and um, I think there's a reason you did that. Um, I have not had any students yet take a shot at this, um, and we'll see what happens as the year goes on and whether students have something that they're interested in. But um, I think that the landmines here are you start talking about huge world problems that you would like to solve that do not differentiate you from others. Like I would like to solve world hunger or I believe we should end racism in in the U S and this sort of goes back to the same thing we were talking about before, which is that you're not saying anything profoundly different from what other students are saying. You're not differentiating yourself from other students. And so the goal here is to talk about something of personal importance to you. Right. Um, And as I was thinking about this prompt um, in preparation for our conversation today, I actually reflected on some of my favorite essays from last year's topic number four, The Place You're Most Content, and thought about ways that you could... So I had a student that wrote about fishing. The place he was most content was fishing. And so I was thinking one of the, the interesting sort of problems he might have was how to fish a particular part of the river or you know, what it was about a certain fly that he was going to use to cast out there as a particular lure and, you know, a, a problem of sort of identifying what, what it was that fish were going to bite on. Um, and just that level of sort of uh, clarity and deep focus on one particular idea could reflect the same kind of information about a student and what they're really passionate about. So I, I think the goal here is to show that you really care about something in your life uh, that that differentiates you from others, and that you can identify a problem within that that really shows how your mind works and how you how you like to to do engage in problem solving. Right. I would say, for the love of God or whatever higher power you pray to, please do not write about world peace or world hunger, or like you said, ending racism or anything huge like that. Where. You know, you're talking about things that you don't really know about, that you are unlikely to have real solutions that could work. Um, you want to stick to something small. You could maybe, if you are really active in a particular area, um, so I'm thinking about a student that I worked with a couple years ago who wrote a phenomenal essay about saving the environment. But the essay was about how in her hometown of New Mexico, where she lived in New Mexico, the green chili that everybody relies on, which by the way, I've never had because I've never been, um, but they rely on it. They use it with everything. They eat it with everything. The crop was being threatened because the environment was, um, they were doing harmful things and it was causing some drought. And um, she thought, wow, this is really a huge problem. And she didn't think, I need to save the environment all over the world. She thought, 
I need to do my tiny little part here in my town to see yeah. if I can have an impact. And so she went out and started educating young elementary school kids thinking if they, if she could teach them at a young age, they would grow up doing these things and teach their own kids and their own families these things. So that's an example of, it was a big problem, but she never wrote about saving the environment or saving the world. She wrote about saving the green chili crop in uh, New Mexico by doing these small little things in her community. And the key for her was she had already acted on this. And um, for me, I always think better to write about something that you've actually done than to write about something that you want to do. Uh, I don't know. You might feel differently about that, but I always think if you stick with what you really know, which is things that you have done, then you're always going to be in a better place. Yeah, I would agree. And um, I would also say that if anybody writes an essay about green chili that I'm reading, they're automatically getting it to whatever college I'm working for because I, I love green chili. But um, when I was actually reading, you know, the fine print of this particular prompt, it did say problem you've solved past tense, which I, I think is hugely important. And, and it really sort of speaks to what you were just saying about what you've already accomplished uh, so that you're not sort of putting forth this big goal that you haven't yet tackled. You know, you can mm-hmm. be all words, but I think what you want to point to is actions. Yes, always action. So we have only four minutes left. So let's get dig into prompt number five, which is discuss an accomplishment or event, formal or informal, that marked your transition from childhood to adulthood within your culture, community, or family. This is kind of an intriguing one. I have had some students write about it, although I will say that they've written about it kind of almost after the fact. So they wrote the essay, as you and I have talked about, and then we've gone and said, you know, this really kind of fits. You've made this transition. We can kind of point to it. Let's go with this prompt. And I'm curious if you've had students approach it differently or what you think about the prompt in general. Yeah, usually there's a, it, it, it's very much something that, you know, I think identifies some aspect of their culture that's really important to them. So maybe, you know, for me, we're talking about what really matters to a student, certain aspects of their identity, um, if they have an international background, if they come from maybe an underrepresented student population, if there are traditions within their family that are unique, we might unpack some of those things and then identify an event um, or, you know, something somewhat tangible that can really expose it. Um, I, and, and so I think that that sort of leaps to the front of the page. But what really matters to me, again, here is, is not the description of the event itself or the people who were there uh, or the culture that it represents, but why these things are important to that student in particular, um, yep. whether it connects them to the generations of ancestors that they have, whether it's about um, feeling connected to the you know individual members of their nuclear family and, and what that says about who they are. I think all those things are, are really important. Um, and so this isn't, you know, I think that the, the major pitfall here would be that you're describing yourself in terms that would be true of anybody from your family or anybody from your culture or your religion. And you want to still, even though you're identifying with a huge group of people that came before you, carve out, um, you know, a pathway that's unique for you. Right. And I think the other thing that you have to watch out for are the easy answers. So immediately when I see this prompt, I think, if I'm a teenager, what, what marks my transition from childhood to adulthood? Driving a car. 
So I could write about getting my license. I could write about taking driving lessons. And I'm not saying I've actually never read a a good essay about that topic, but I've read that essay before. And, you know, one of the things I say all the time that's most important in this process is that you're trying to stand out and not blend in. So if you write about something that's easy, that a lot of other teenagers experience, there is such a greater likelihood that this is an essay that someone will have read before and therefore you're going to blend in rather than stand out. So you want to look for something that is maybe more unique than that or be an extraordinarily good writer and be able to make me laugh as I'm reading it or cry when I'm reading it or whatever. Um, And I would, you know, I would say that describes, you know, maybe five kids that I have worked with in the many, many years that I have been in this, in this, doing this, this work. So you probably want to steer clear. I would agree. And, you know, one of the questions that I always throw back at students is if they're writing about, let's say, getting their driver's license, I would say, how many of your friends also got their driver's license in the last two years? And they would say, well, almost all of them. And I would say, how many of them could have written this essay? And what is it about this essay that is unique to you? Let's highlight all the sections that only describe you and not any of your friends. And usually when we go through that exercise, we're in a position where now most of the most of the essay really describes a number of people, even within their immediate friend group. And so yep. that's, that's not going to be a successful essay. Exactly, exactly. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I think these two segments should be super helpful to those of you out there thinking about writing your essay. I encourage you to uh, go back and listen to the first one. And uh, if you need to, come back and listen to this one again. On our next, on our next segment, excuse me, uh, my colleague Kira Tyler is going to be here and we're going to be talking about all the things you need to be thinking about in your freshman year. And it's going to be the part one in a four-part series. Uh, And we're going to talk about all four years of high school. Today, it's going to be freshman year. So we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Lots of people talk about publishing their work, but have no idea where to start. If you are one of these aspiring authors or know somebody who is, don't miss Publishing Today Radio with Athena Dean Holtz. Thought leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and in general, storytellers all want to get their messages in print. And that includes branding and marketing. Athena and her guests are here to answer your publishing questions and more. 
Tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We have gotten, over the course of this show airing, we've got lots of questions about, what should I be doing? I'm a freshman. What should I be doing? I'm a junior. What should I be doing? And way back on April 2nd, we actually did one segment on an overall timeline. So we covered everything from eighth grade through 12th grade. And as you can imagine, I think it's really helpful. It lays out some pretty basic stuff along the way. But there's so much to be thinking about when it comes to college admissions that Really, we could do an entire segment. We probably could do an entire show on what to think about every year. Um, so keeping with our theme of starting early, I'm pleased to welcome Kira Tyler, who's my colleague here at College Coach and is a former senior admissions officer at Brandeis, uh, to the show today. Hi, Kira. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And thanks good. for joining us today. Sure. So our topic today, as you know, is uh, ninth grade and the things to be thinking about. And I thought that I would start with something that I do um, with my students when I start working with them uh, as early as ninth grade, and that is to talk about some goal setting. And um, goal setting, I like to, to do sort of shorter term stuff. You know, sometimes when they ask, well, what's your goal? Well, I want to go to college. Okay, well, that's a long-term goal. That's still three, four years away. What could we be thinking about right now? So so can you talk us through some goal setting when it comes to ninth graders? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that there are um, a couple of areas in which we can have our students focus their energies on um, as it relates to goal setting. So, The first would be academic, so thinking about as they're transitioning into a new phase of their life, that being starting high school, which for the vast majority of students will be in a different building, um, you know, than they had been in previously, so a completely new setting, um, how they want their first academic year to be. Um, I'm like you. I like a long-range goal, but for this particular uh, population, I think a shorter chunk is better, so thinking Mm -hmm. about this particular ninth grade year is key. And academically speaking, um, anything that really relates to what happens within the classroom setting. So, you know, maybe if math is a tricky spot for a student, it's, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get a particular letter grade, but also to seek extra help or check in with the teacher at least once a week. Um, you know, I think it's important to set a goal, but then also to set your intentions for how those are going to be accomplished. So some real action steps around, Okay, so getting a B involves blah, 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 blah. Right, exactly, because what goes to say, I'm going to get all A's if you then don't have a plan for how you're going to do do that, right? Exactly. um, Yeah, the action steps are really key there. They're really key, and it makes it easier when we're revisiting um, in a couple months later. You know, maybe it's after the first quarter, maybe it's after the first semester. We're checking in on the grades. It's, it's a really easy thing to grab onto if you have action steps and to see how things were either really successful or where things broke down. 
So academic, I think, would be great. Um, I would love for people to also think about setting goals around their extracurricular engagement. Um, it couldn't, could just be maybe I would like to have eight hours of extracurricular participation this year. Or, you know, I've always wanted to try soccer and never have a chance. I'd like to try out for the team. So, again, a few things to grab onto with some action items. What does it mean to actually try out for soccer? You know, mm-hmm. I would hope it doesn't just mean showing up one day uh, and, and going and you've never played the game. Maybe it means attending a camp in the summer. Maybe it means seeking out the coach beforehand, seeing if there's a camp. So just like we would do for academic, let's set some intentional goals um, for extracurricular. Um, I also love for students to think about personal goals. Um, maybe this is around uh, having, you know, better habits around your use of technology, or maybe it's around spending more time with your younger sibling, um, or maybe it's about uh, trying to get yourself in a gym to be a little bit more physically fit. Um, but things that are happening that are just for the student, maybe it's reading a book every term uh, that's outside reading. Whatever they want it to be that's positive, um, you know, I would also encourage them to set a couple of these personal goals um, as well. Gotcha. And so one other thing that I ask some of my ninth graders to think about is um, we did a segment a while back, so I'm not going to really dig into this, but um, in the segments that we did on getting into IVs or other highly selective um, colleges, uh, we talk about distinguishing excellence. And I think the key with a distinguishing excellence or developing one is that you don't just show up senior year and say, I'm going to have a distinguishing excellence. You need to have a goal toward what is it that you're trying to do? What is it that you're trying to evolve into a distinguishing excellence and start working toward that as early as freshman year? Right. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yes. um, So, we, we, we started with goal setting. Let's get into some things students need to be thinking about as it relates to course choice. So this actually even is something to be thinking about before you get started in uh, ninth grade and when you're thinking about picking your, your courses for high school. What are some tips you have here? Absolutely. So, of course, you know, you've set your schedule in eighth grade. Hopefully, you've put yourself into a situation that, that's challenging but also allows for you to be successful. And so, once school goes ahead and, and starts, um, you know, this is really where I think it's important for the parent and the student to be on the same page, and hopefully their communication is working really well because what we're wanting to see happen is that uh, we get the sense from the student that the courses are a correct match, that the rigor is matching their potential, um, that the track they're on, let's say, for a particular math class is right, or, you know, their language course is the correct one for them, that everything is working as it should be and early on um, because if things are a little bit, too easy for the student as they're adjusting into their new schedule. You find, wow, I really could have taken that honors English class. Um, Let's see if it's not too late for you to switch into that honors English class. The flip side is also true. So if you find that your student is working really hard and putting in their 110% best effort, but despite all of that, the courses are too challenging or the schedule is too rigorous, you know, in totality, then perhaps it's time to try and dial it back. Um, So one of the things that's tied into all of this is as a family, having a really good sense of, you know, what's the time frame in which I can make some adjustments or my student can make some adjustments in their schedule. And what happens, um, you know, when my student drops down a level? How does that show up on the transcript or what what does it look like? Um, you know, should they need to change courses? Does it is it a withdrawal? 
is it a bad yep. grade, and then that's replaced by something else. So having a clear understanding of what the policy is at the school, I think, is really critical. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that, too, sometimes it's uh, an all-or-nothing approach that I see some families use. So yes. there's either no rigor or it's all completely rigorous. And Agreed. You know, there can be a happy medium there. So maybe it does. And the other thing that I see, the the exact point that you just made, so I don't want to belabor it, is just that thinking about it early. Don't just wait until the first quarter, which at, at which point it's generally too late to do anything without it showing up on the transcript. But if you have your eyes on it right away and you're monitoring it right from the beginning, then you can make adjustments. And typically, if you do it early enough, it's never going to show up on the transcript, which is exactly key. Key. That's key. Yeah, that's what we want. Um, really quickly before we, we move on to the next to the next piece, um, I, I want to help families understand that um, this doesn't have to be like a knee jerk reaction. I I chose my words very carefully about how we can define success. And in my world, um, you know, and I think that in some ways this is mirrored by others. It's about effort, right? And so if the student is in a really challenging course and they've been an A student their entire life and they're struggling a little bit, they're getting a B, they're making it. Um, And it just means that adjustment needs to be made or they're just having you know, it's hard material and they'll mm-hmm. eventually get it. Maybe they'll get an A. You know, I, I want us to be careful about families making too quick of a judgment, um, you know, that their student is suddenly getting a lesser grade than they've ever gotten, but it's not terrible, you know, that that isn't necessarily a reason to immediately switch that, switch them out. Yes. Right. It's really, it's when you're really struggling. Yeah. Or by conversely, if you see that your child is putting in just as much effort and you suspect that if they drop down, the grade would remain the same, yes. sometimes it's better. Just stick with the higher level one then. If they're going to get Bs regardless of where they are, then they may as well get Bs in honors courses versus getting Bs in regular level courses because, I, yeah. you know, the honors will probably get them farther. But that's probably a conversation for another day and the question yeah. of effort versus... Um, <laughs> So really quickly, the two things I wanted to make note of is that um, in general, uh, high schools have certain requirements of things you need to take before you can graduate, and then colleges have a whole other set of expectations. Right. So the more, um, if your child has an idea of where they want to go, you want to be looking, even as early as now, is what kind of math typically do students achieve before they apply, and am I on track to achieve that? Or even more importantly, if your goal is to get to AP Calculus by the time you're a senior, you want to make sure that you're on the right math track to do that. And if you're not, figure out how you can get yourself on that track. And that might mean doing a course over the summer. It might mean doing something online. Uh, It might mean doubling up one year. And maybe that's going to be appropriate and maybe it's not, but you want to at least understand it uh, rather than get to senior year and say, well, wait a second. What do you mean I can't take this class that I wanted to take? Um, So, what about extracurricular activities? Some students are doing lots of things already in middle school. Do, should they automatically um, continue with those things in high school? Or, you know, what do you think about how you make those choices in terms of what to do outside of the classroom in ninth grade? Sure. So, you know, I think if a student has been engaged in activities pre-high school that they're really enjoying and the student seems to be getting a lot out of that. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a a musical instrument. Maybe it's something academically focused. Um, If there's an opportunity to continue it at the high school level, I think that's a terrific way to get integrated into the extracurricular community within the high school. So, you know, I'll use 
you know, a student who may be um, a musician within their school's band in the middle school, um, you know, community, and let's say that they're taking lessons outside of school and this is something that they really enjoy, um, why not allow them to be part of the concert band, which may also mean part of the marching band in high school? Um, it's a great way to meet friends. It's a good way to continue that activity. Um, and it's a great way to show some continuity, set you up for con- continuity in the future years. Um, gotcha. Let's say that a student has not had that kind of experience in middle school or they didn't have the opportunity to try something that they were hoping to do in middle school, like mock trial. You know, that's not really something that's readily available in middle school. Then certainly try to get yourself onto a group starting in the ninth grade if that's possible, and let's absolutely see how it goes. I think ninth grade is really, it's it's like rife with possibility, ripe with possibility as it relates to, you know, trying something new and being exposed to new things or continuing what you're doing just in a new setting and maybe, you know, quite frankly, at a different level um, of competition and achievement. Right. And the only quick thing that I would add there is that if a student has been doing something for a long time, sometimes they get sick of it. And it might be worth an honest conversation with your child before they start high school because Better to decide that, you know what, I really don't want to play soccer anymore. I'd really rather try track as a ninth grader than playing soccer for two years. And just as you're about to make varsity, deciding, I really hate this sport now. I played it for too long. I don't want to do it anymore. Exactly. Um, Very quickly, because we don't have much time left. uh, What about standardized testing? Of course, you could do the PSAT as practice. You could take the plan, which is the early test for the ACT. Anything else appropriate at this point? to be thinking yeah. about? Yeah, so for some students, um, mostly students who are taking, I think this is most common for ninth graders who may be taking honors biology, um, if the student is doing well on the course, and I would check with the instructor and see, you know, has my student covered enough material to be ready for the SAT subject test in biology? If the teacher says, yeah, you know, or there's one more, you know, chapter that um, is going to be covered that we didn't cover, I can work with them. Um, but if it's mostly done through the coursework and what they've already d- covered, I would have them sit for that SAT subject test. Okay, awesome. Kira, I have to wrap things up, but you're going to be back next week, and we're going to talk about sophomore year. And so what I'm going to do is roll summer of ninth grade into that conversation about sophomore year. Perfect. Um, So thank you so much. I did want to let everyone know that next week, Kira's going to be back. We're going to be talking about sophomore year. We're also going to be talking about establishing credit as a college student. And by credit, I mean financial credit, like credit cards and things like that. And then finally, we're going to be talking through another college essay, and that's the very popular and important why this college essay. Uh, Don't forget to visit our archives. Uh, You can also download the shows for free on iTunes. But if you prefer to listen live, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 